a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. You can check them out at staplesmortgage.com. My guest is my fellow wrong thinker, Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric, great to catch up. I hope you had a great Labor Day weekend, comrade. Well, I did because I wasn't black bagged and taken off to Jonestown to drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah, you know, as far as as far as the resistance goes, I'm going to have to nominate you for being one of the preeminent leaders of the resistance to the uh, the current uh, sickness psychosis, as you call it, that is sweeping across America. Um, talk to me about some of the latest developments you've seen in in your crusade to help wake people up to the idea that uh, we don't need to be face diapering. Well, I think people are beginning to get tired of it. At least that's my hope. There have been a number of lawsuits that have been filed around the country by individuals and also by groups. I think Michelle Malkin, who's a columnist, uh, was involved in one of them. And the gist of them is that uh, all of what's happened over the last six or eight months or so is predicated on these uh, emergency powers that most states authorize their governors to have, but only for a finite period of time. And typically it's 30 days or two weeks or something like that. It's certainly not six months. It's certainly not indefinite. Uh, So essentially what's going on right now is lawless. There is no accountability to the ballot box, uh, no accountability to the voters whatsoever. None of this has been submitted to the public for a vote. It's just been decreed, and it appears to be open-ended. And that's that's got to stop if there is going to be any lawful order in this country any longer or if we're just going to submit to the Gesundheitsführers and whatever arbitrary decrees they decide to throw in our faces. You know, I, I notice here in my home state of Utah, it's getting to the point, I just I received an email yesterday from a friend saying, hey, check this out. There is a, a petition, a very official-looking resolution that just is, is to all elected officials saying, you've done your part, now we are taking matters into our own hands, and essentially it's saying we, the citizens, are declaring that this state of emergency is over. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know what the official response would be, but it does give me some hope to see enough people finding backbone to where they're willing to stand up and put their foot down and say, enough. Well, it's healthy, isn't it? I try to use the same verbiage as the sickness psychosis people, except pointed in the proper direction, because that's what's, what we're dealing with right now is exactly that. It's a, it's a form of, of mental aberration, and that can't be normalized. can't be normalized politically. It can't be normalized socially. This pathologizing of everything, this terrorizing of everything, particularly, we've talked about this before, what they're doing to kids, little kids now, uh, are being reared to be terrified of everything and being made to be socially awkward, uh, made to not want to uh, be near their friends any longer, and conditioned to accepting this idea of being under perpetual lockdown and house arrest. That's enormously dangerous, and you'd think that parents, of all people, would be very much opposed to that. Uh, and I think that a lot of them are opposed to it and are beginning to chafe under this. At least I hope so. I hope I'm not wrong about that. I'm actually aware of a, a teacher at a local school here where I live um, who didn't just you know get after, didn't just scold a, a young girl in the hallway last week because she wasn't wearing a mask, but got in her face and screamed at her. 
and screamed at her about how you could be killing people because you're not wearing your mask. And I'm thinking, that how is that not child abuse? Well, of course, it is child abuse by the definition of it. Uh, one thing that I've been doing lately to kind of get that point across to other adults, um, when I go out uh, and about, I'm waiting for somebody at, at one of these places that I go to to accost me and try to get me to put on the diaper. And, and I'm going to say to them, but I'm not a member. And that's going to make them back up and, 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 and stop. And what the heck is he talking about? And I'll say something, and then I'll say, of your cult, very loudly, so that everybody in the vicinity can hear it. <laughs> I, you know, that's, that's what I'm actually going to have to maybe put into use. I, I've been very fortunate. To, maybe it's because I just don't get out all that much. But I, there, there is nowhere that I have gone lately that I have been accosted for not having a mask. In fact, yeah. uh, my family and I traveled over the weekend. We went up to, to Bear Lake in Idaho. And it's, it's a fairly touristy little place that, that we ended up. Um, the towns were crowded. No social distancing going on. Very, very mm-hmm. few people in masks. And, and just about mm-hmm. every establishment that we walked into, um, nobody said a thing. If you weren't wearing a mask, mm-hmm. it was no big deal. And some people, you know, they did, and that was mm-hmm. okay. Let them, let them do that. But mm-hmm. I, I found it very refreshing because it seems like in the bigger cities, that's where the Gesundheitsführers seem most empowered yep. to, to jump in and, and rearrange your life. Yeah, two things here. As I've mentioned before when we've talked about this, I go out of my way to approach people that I see who are also undiapered and to just engage them in light conversation. But in addition to that, I also make it a point of speaking with managers and so on at places that aren't belligerent about the diapering. In other words, they let people choose for themselves whether to do this and thank them uh, for allowing people the choice. And I think uh, that's, that's, that's a kind of peaceful, direct action that all of us can take um, that's not controversial and could really help to, uh, to help tamp down this hysteria and fear that has been uh, deliberately foisted on the American public now for the past year. What's, what's the latest official word? I know you're keeping an eye on, you know, first, first it was the deaths and then it was hospitalizations, mm-hmm. then it was cases. What is the spin now to keep us gaslighted into believing that right now we're in the midst of the plague? Well, it's essentially the same thing. They're providing no context with regard to the cases. Uh, and they're also, uh, by omission, not talking about the experts' latest numbers that you can get from the CDC and the HWHO, uh, which have been radically uh, altered once again to uh, indicate that the number of people who have died exclusively from this, this Wu flu is extraordinarily small, and that the threat to people who are healthy and not elderly is essentially nil. It is literally less than half of a percent. Uh, the people who have been di- who have been uh, who have been harmed by this in terms of death or something like that, uh, something very serious, are almost all older people and frail older people or frail people generally. Not that, you know, not that that's, that's a, a good thing, but each year people who are frail and, and, and old die from one thing or another, and that's part of life. And what's happened is that has been pathologized as some sort of abnormal aberration. No. Uh, talk to me about your article, um, Goodwill Not Diapering. <laughs> I guess there there was a sign placed there on the Goodwill store locally. Yeah, that's a play on that movie uh, uh, Goodwill Hunting. I thought it was kind of snarky, and so I try to have a sense of humor about this rather than uh, be perpetually morose about it. But still, to try to get the point across, I, I went to the local Goodwill store with my girlfriend, um, and the signage in my area in Southwest Virginia has gotten very belligerent. You see now not just the signs that say you must wear. Uh, the face mask, but they're in big block letters, and they're everywhere, not just at the door, they're inside. 
But people aren't saying anything to you, or at least not to me, not yet. You can go in in defiance of the sign, and that's what's so important to do. Don't give in to a piece of paper on a sign, and don't give in when people aren't even saying anything to you. Just by, by defying it and going in and showing your face, you're showing normalcy and giving encouragement to people in the store who might have been uh, browbeaten by that sign to put on the diaper but really didn't want to. If they see you, quote-unquote, getting away with it, they might be emboldened to try to get away with it themselves. I love it, getting away with it. You, crim- yep. you criminal you. <laughs> <laughs> you awful criminal. You presumptive disease carrier. Something you pointed out, though, in that article that, that really it grabbed my attention. This is only because uh, I, I spent last Christmas in Germany, and mm-hmm. I, I noticed signs everywhere, the signs in that stylized uh, Germanic uh, you know, mm-hmm. block print. Um, and it was, yes. it was usually stuff like, no standing here, do not touch this and stuff. But there mm-hmm. were signs everywhere. And, you know, it, I, I know it... Uh, it's kind of a play on, you know, the, the, the heel-clicking order followers, but, yeah, right. but that's, that's the same kind of dynamic we're seeing at work here with, with the uh, masks. Well, and it's worse than that. You know, there's the antecedent. I know people bring up National Socialist Germany, and sometimes it's a bit much or it's a bit, uh, a, a, a bit, uh, a bit over far. But the fact of the matter is people were once upon a time uh, made to wear a certain piece of government-required clothing in another country in another time. And uh, does that sound familiar to today? And this social pressure, this, this, on the one hand, turning certain people into a kind of pariah class that it's okay to bully, that it's okay to exclude from society. Does that sound familiar? And then the rest of the people sort of bow their heads, cow, and they go along with the program because they don't want to be put into the pariah class. So, you know, you're ending up with a dynamic that is very similar to what went on uh, 100 years ago or so um, in Germany. And I don't, want this, I don't want to see that happen here. I'm sure you don't want to see that happen here. I don't think any person who's not completely out of his mind with fear wants to see that happen here. Well, and, you know, for those who would say it's just unfair that you guys would make any kind of comparison to, you know, either Weimar or Nazi Germany, you know, mm-hmm. and what's going on now, if you haven't seen some of the videos of the behavior of people who feel like they are entitled to go mm-hmm. after people, sometimes physically go after people, yeah, that's right. um, that's you know, right. we're, we're not that far off from that kind of behavior. That's how it begins, when, when norms of civility and civilization are broken down and egged on officially by the state and given sanction. Uh, when people can be accosted in the street, when they can be spat on, hit, that's happening in this country. Hold that and thought. That is, we'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back. My guest is Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric is, is like my, uh, my weekly sanity supplement, and, and I appreciate uh, that he joins us on this program to talk about um, why it's essential that we not only understand, but we stand up for our, our liberties. Uh, because right now, Eric, there, there's a lot of pressure being brought to bear from a number of different directions to separate us from those freedoms. And nowhere is sure. that more apparent than in the uh, Gesundheitsführers out there doing mask enforcement. You were saying as we went to break, there are people who do feel entitled to come up to, to a cost, to spit on people, shout at them, shove them. Um, and, and I have to ask, where does that sense of entitlement come from? Is that a part of human nature? 
Well, I think it's part of human nature to want to do good. Zolzhenitsyn, in his many books, talked about this, uh, about this paradox of people who seem to be good people doing horribly awful evil things. And his observation was that good people will be uh, persuaded to commit atrocities in the name of doing good if they believe that they are doing good. So, for example, in Germany under the Nazis, people thought it was a good thing to herd up all of the Jews and send them off to camps by rail. And now people are being told that it is a good and virtuous thing to, uh, to wear the diaper and that people who don't wear the diaper are dangerous people. And therefore, it is a good thing to hector, pester, bully, and even implicitly attack these people. So the, the principle behind all of this is fundamentally the same thing. Well, and there are some warning signs, just as there were warning signs in Germany that, hey, this is going in a really uh, ugly and awkward direction. Um, it, it may not be so common here in America right now, but anybody who has cast an eye towards uh, New Zealand or Australia mm -hmm. should have plenty of evidence there of, of just how unhinged this kind of enforcement can become. Yeah, it's even more startling in those places because the number of fatalities attributed to the Wu-Flu, I believe, is on the order of 450-something. I mean, it's, it's a trivial, trivially small number, and nonetheless, they are actually attacking anybody who, show, who dares to show their face in public, literally. You walk outside of your house, you walk outside of your apartment without that diaper on, and you can expect to be tackled by armed government goons uh, and possibly assaulted by other people in the streets as well. And anybody who dares to peacefully protest is locked down and carted off by the same stormtroopers, and they literally look like stormtroopers. I just posted a video of, of one of the latest events uh, on my site where you can see them. They've got the Darth Vader-style helmets. They've got the plastic body armor all over them. <laughs> and to merely go out into the public wearing your diaper to criticize what's going on over there is sufficient to get yourself thrown in prison violently by these goons. They just need the Imperial March to, <laughs> to complete the yeah. picture. Right. And again, it would be funny if it weren't so scary. Well, I've seen three videos in the last week that, that just sickened me. And, and all, all of them were from Australia. Uh, one was uh, a guy just sitting on the train without a mask. And, and being physically accosted by a police officer. The police officer yeah. starts by talking to him, but then ends up getting physical with him. The guy is doing nothing but just sitting there talking with him. And, yep. and, and the cop goes hands-on and is, is yep. commencing to give him a beat down and take him into custody. The second was yep. a guy standing there talking to police in his yard. And, I mean, there's a dozen officers with a battering ram who go and break yep. down his door. Not for any crime he committed, but because he was uh, he had posted something on social media about uh, we should be protesting this stuff. There was also yep. the video of a pregnant woman in Australia arrested for yep. suggesting that maybe we should have some kind of a public protest against these policies. Oh, and there was one other video, and there was two old ladies sitting on a park bench, not wearing a mask, not sitting whatever arbitrary distance away from each other, and suddenly surrounded by police officers, one of whom sneaks up and yanks the cell phone out of her hand so she can't film them. And, and yep. again, this... I, I know there are some people who would say, well, but that's justified. This is a time of pandemic. But uh, I, I, I'm astonished at how quickly these police officers forget their humanity and what they're supposed to be representing. Well, two things. The first, of course, um, is that now to simply object to what's going on, not to do anything, but just to voice an opinion, has become a, critical, a criminal act in some places. And I suspect it will become here, too, if we can't beat back the sickness psychosis. And the second thing with regard to this idea of the, the pandemic, 
Everything that's happening is predicated on assertions, assertions that have proved to be wildly hysterical, wildly exaggerated. There is no factual basis for any of this if you go by how many people have died, uh, what the actual potential for anything is. It's all just predicated on this, 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 this worst-case scenario assertion. Each assertion is then disproved, and then a new assertion comes up. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in, in my entire 30-something years of being a journalist. Well, and there's, there's a lesson. I'm going to sound like a radical for saying this, but um, you know that kind of stuff would not be happening if the people in Australia and New Zealand hadn't first been disarmed by their governments. I think that's spot on, absolutely so. And uh, the lesson to be drawn from that is that it is imperative that we uh, we protect our Second Amendment and our right uh, to possess the means of self-defense against this sort of tyranny, unless we want to end up like the people of Australia, where they can simply drag you away on the street for expressing an opinion that's contrary to whatever the government uh, government line is that day. Eric, let's let's shift gears here. We've got just a couple of minutes left, but yep. I, I'd love to I'd love to talk about something positive, possibly even automotive related. Yes. Um, you you do a wonderful uh, write up on on various automobiles that uh, that come across your your radar screen, and you you test drive them and and do a great write up. Mm-hmm. Anything exciting that has has come into uh, into your possession of late? Well, actually, yeah, I've got in the uh, the driveway right now, I'm looking at it. Of all things, it's a Toyota Camry, but wait a minute. It's a Camry with the newly available TRD, which stands for Toyota Racing Development Package. Now, the Camry has been for generations the kind of go-to family car, but also kind of a Mrs. Doubtfire car, not particularly right. exciting, not particularly uh, something that you get because, wow, this is going to be fun. You get it because, hey, this is a practical car, right? Well, now you can get it with uh, a high-performance wheel and tire package. You can get it with upgraded brakes. You can get it even with a wing on the back, if you can believe that, plus <laughs> the 300-plus horsepower V6. And a lot of people don't know this, and when I tell them this, they're pretty startled by it. A V6-powered Camry is quicker and faster than any V8-powered muscle car of the classic era. It does 0 to 60 in about 5 seconds. Uh, it'll do about 140 on top. And I know we're jaded about horsepower these days because you can go out and get a, a 700 horsepower Dodge Challenger Hellcat, but that costs seventy thousand bucks. This one only costs about thirty something. Okay, I'm surprised, and and like you, I I tend to equate the Camry with okay, that's what Grandma's going to yeah. drive to the grocery store, but uh, yep. it, apparently it can be sporty. More than more than just sporty, yeah, you'll be able to show your taillights to literally any big block-powered muscle car from back in the day, unless that thing has been heavily modified, and even then it's going to be a close race. So does it still have the, the really aggressive-looking front grille? Because Toyotas have looked angry to me for the last few years. Yeah, I call it angry samurai face. <laughs> they, and I think that they've gone with that for the same reason that SUVs now have that same kind of, you know, over-the-top, steroidal Mr. Olympia look to them. I think... I think it's because people in the main, are, they feel so alienated and powerless in this system that we have right now that they get into this car that looks angry and tough, and it makes them feel a little bit less beaten down. That's my opinion on that. Okay. I wouldn't argue with that. I mean, look, there, there are some stereotypes out there. The, uh, you know, the, the big bro-dozer pickup that uh, is compensating mm-hmm. for, shall we say, lack of frontal mass elsewhere. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly so. Exactly. So plus, the other thing is 
Stylists have been stymied by the government in terms of what they can do to make a car look different because of all the, the regulatory templates that every new vehicle, whether it's a car or truck, has to fit into. The one area where they still have some latitude is in the front end and the rear end. So they sometimes go a little bit over the top trying to make a really, really wild-looking uh, face piece for the thing because that's the only way they can differentiate the car from its competition. Well, I'm, I'm encouraged to see that, uh, you know, even, even sedans for the sedate may be, uh, may be stepping up their game. Eric, tell everybody mm-hmm. where they can find your website. Sure. It's www.epautos.com. Pretty straightforward, pretty easy. Okay. Great talking with you, my friend. Let's engage in Wrong Think same time next week. Sounds great. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being part of my growing audience of wrong thinkers. Speaking of wrong think, I'm sure you've heard the term gaslight. And I, I found an explanation. Actually, I want to tell, tell my friend Eric, thank you for sending it. Uh, my, my buddy who I, uh, I went to grade school with, Eric, um, sent me this article last week about gaslighting. And I think it is possibly one of the best explanations that I have ever read about, uh, if you've ever had the thought, am I going crazy? And I know a lot of people have had that thought. This is 2020, right? Can we believe our eyes? Can we believe our ears? Must we believe Dr. Fauci or other proponents of the official narrative? Well, Charles or Dennis Charles Vosper made this post on Facebook, and it, it's a very powerful explanation of what's happening to us on a number of levels. And he starts with the question, have you ever asked yourself, am I crazy? If you've ever asked yourself that, he says, you're not crazy. You're most likely being gaslighted. Now, if you've heard this term and thought, okay, I hear it, but I'm not sure what it, what it means. Gaslighting, he says, is a form of psychological abuse aimed at controlling a person by altering reality to the point where the person will doubt their own sanity. The term gaslighting comes from a 1930s play called Gaslight. The main character in the play literally tries to drive his wife crazy by gradually dimming the gas-powered lights in their home. When she notices the lights dimming, her husband not only denies that the lights are dimming, but he convinces her that she's imagining it to the point where she questions her own sanity. We're living in a state of uh, perpetual state of gaslighting, he says. The reality that we are being told by the media is at complete odds with what we're seeing with our own two eyes. And when we question the false reality that we're being presented, or we claim that what we see is that actual reality, we are vilified as racist or bigots or just plain crazy. But he says, you're not racist, you're not crazy, you're being gaslighted. Here's an example. New York State has twice as many deaths from COVID-19 than any other state. And New York has accounted for one-fifth of all COVID-19 deaths. But we're told that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has handled the pandemic better than any other governor. But if we support policies of governors whose states had just a fraction of the infections and deaths as New York, we're called anti-science. We want people to die. So we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. 
We see mobs of people looting stores, smashing windows, setting cars on fire, burning down buildings, but we're told these demonstrations are mostly peaceful protests. And when we call this destruction of our cities riots, we're called racists. So we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. You see, the major problem destroying many inner cities is crime, murder, gang violence, drug dealing, drive-by shootings, armed robbery. But we're told that is not crime, but police are the problem in the inner cities. We're told that we must defund the police and remove law enforcement from crime-riddled cities to make them safer. But if we advocate for more policing in cities overrun by crime, we're accused of being white supremacists and racists. So we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. The United States of America accepts more immigrants than any other country in the world. The vast majority of these immigrants are people of color, and these immigrants are enjoying freedom and economic opportunity not available to them in the country of origin. But we're told that the United States is the most racist and oppressive country on the planet. And if we disagree, we're being, we are called racist and xenophobic. So we ask ourselves, are we crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. Capitalist countries are the most prosperous countries in the world. The standard of living is the highest in capitalist countries. We see more poor people move up the economic ladder to the middle and even the wealthy class through the effort and ability in capitalist countries than any other economic system in the world. But we're told capitalism is an oppressive system designed to keep people down. And so we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. Communist countries killed over 100 million people in the 20th century. Democide. By the way, I think that number is closer to 262 million, but hey, you know, who's counting? Communist countries strip their citizens of basic human rights, dictate every aspect of their lives, treat their citizens like slaves, and drive their economies into the ground. But we are told communism is the fairest, most equitable, freest, and most prosperous economic system in the world. And so we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. The most egregious example of gaslighting is the concept of white fragility. You spend your life trying to be a good person, trying to treat people fairly and with respect. You disavow racism and bigotry in all its forms. You judge people solely on the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. You don't discriminate based on race or ethnicity, but you are told you are a racist, not because of something you did or said, but solely because of the color of your skin. You know instinctively that charging someone with racism because of their skin color is itself racist. You know that you are not racist, so you defend yourself and your character. But you're told that your defense of yourself is proof of your racism, and so we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No. You're being gaslighted. Gaslighting has become one of the most pervasive and destructive tactics in American politics. It is the exact opposite of what our political system was meant to be. It deals in lies and psychological coercion and not the truth and intellectual discourse. If you ever ask yourself if you're crazy, you're not. Crazy people aren't sane enough to ask themselves if they're crazy. So trust yourself. Believe what's in your heart. Trust your eyes over what you are told. Never listen to the people who tell you that you are crazy because you are not. You are being gaslighted. Now, this is said, this says received via email from a friend. This is from Dennis Charles Vosper. He's the one who posted it. So I don't know who the original author is. I would gladly, gladly give, uh, you know, um, attribution if I knew who it was. But Dennis is as close as I can come. But 
I think it's a ter- it's a terrifically timely explanation, and it's also just a, another underscore of the fact that finding truth in our world today is not getting easier. This is one of the reasons why I am such an advocate for the various uh, platforms of truth that uh, have been built and are being built, and they take many different names. Look, some people think, well, podcasting, what a fad. Everybody's got a podcast. Ah, Look at me. I have a podcast, you know, and yet I say more power to them. Let more people, let everybody develop their own podcast because I'm confident that with enough platforms out there, you will not stop the truth. People can spin it. People can try to gaslight you. People can try to, you know, discredit. But with enough people speaking truth, it's going to come out. And I strongly believe we live in a time where this is needed, even if it's unpopular, even if it's if it puts you at risk of being called names or, you know, being accused of white fragility because you don't toe the line on this or toe the line on that. If you want to become an unplayable piece on someone else's chessboard or those who are trying to, you know, play us all as pawns, then you've got to be willing to think for yourself. And I just want to tell you, I'm very thankful for those people who have discovered this platform for truth. I know there are many more like it. I have a lot of uh, colleagues within uh, the broadcast field and the podcast field who do our, our level best every single day to get truth and thought-provoking content out there, not because we're, we're trying to, to build a brand or trying to become rich and famous, although some people do it well enough they do, you know, get rich and famous. Joe Rogan's a good example of this. But at the heart of it, it's the idea that the truth needs to be freely spoken. Somebody has to be willing to stick their neck out and say it. And, and frankly, the gatekeepers of truth... Now have, it used to be, you know, the big publishers. Well, if you want to be published, you've got to toe this line and you've got to make sure you can get past those gatekeepers. No longer. And so social media has kind of become the de facto gatekeepers. And yet, uh, you know, with all the crackdowns that are coming, my understanding is starting October 1st, Facebook is going to get a lot more interesting, probably a lot more empty too, because people will be leaving because they're getting censored left and right. I see friends who don't, I don't think they post uh, particularly um, provocative or controversial content. They, they, pro, they, they post content that talks about things that are of uh, current interest and current events, but they're getting flagged left and right. They're getting timeouts. They're getting, you know, stuff removed. Well, this goes against our policies. And so it's, it's just very clear that uh, the crackdown is expanding the efforts to limit what is acceptable. I mean, you, you send up any story whatsoever about COVID-19. It is a sure bet that, uh, that at some point the algorithm is going to pick up on it, flag it, and, and you may spend some time in Facebook jail. Now, like I've said before, the solution is not to go running to government. Hey, I need someone to protect my free speech. Will you do that for me? No, don't do that. Build your own platform. You may not think you're an expert. You may not think you have the, the technical know-how or even, you know, the intellectual wherewithal to, to have your own podcast or your own platform. But you do. And it's time you started to trust yourself and speak. By the way, I have a lot on my plate. But anybody who approaches me and says, hey, how can I get started? I will find the time to help you and try to steer you in the right direction because I think I have a duty to do so. 
So there's my offer. It's on the table. Please pick it up. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, we are back. Join us at the BrianHydeShow.com website. You'll find the show notes there. Lots of great articles. I, every day that I broadcast, I publish show notes. And I don't always have time to get to all of the, the various articles or essays that I find in the course of a day's show prep. But I promise you, if you're looking for good, thought-provoking content, you will find it there in abundance. And you can also subscribe to the podcast if you are so inclined. You can actually become a supporter of this program. I've got a number of people who've signed on. Some people, you know, donate $10 a month, some $5 a month. You could do as little as 99 cents a month. And I will tell you, it is greatly appreciated. Every single dime helps. And and because of the nature of what I do, um, I feel a sense of stewardship. So this is not about, oh, cool, now I can finally afford that Maserati I've been saving up for. This is uh, These are sacred funds in the sense that they help keep me independent of any of the, the major platforms that could quickly deplatform me if for some reason I were to say something controversial. Not that that would ever happen, but I'm just saying, you know, what if? Anyway, I appreciate those of you who are supporters. Those of you who are not, go to thebrianhydeshow.com. Consider becoming a wrong thinker. It's greatly appreciated, and, and your support goes toward keeping this message of personal conscience, personal liberty, private property rights, and freedom moving forward. So I know you're hearing lots of talk about, uh, well, you know, we, we still have to keep the mask mandates in place. And uh, let's see, uh, a lot of the uh, the distancing orders have been extended for another few weeks. Remember that 15 days it was going to take to flatten the curves, the curve rather. I think we're, we're well over um, 160 days now. It's, it's just, it keeps on going. And, and this is just my opinion. So I could be totally wrong on this, but it has all the appearance that there are people in power who have realized, hey, this gives us a lot of leverage to do what we want to do and to to take on things that we want to take on, and we don't have to uh, we don't have to be accountable. We can simply say, well, this has to be done. Why? Well, because COVID nineteen, and there are enough people out there who are scared and uncertain that they're going to do it. Resistance has never been lower. Now, it's human nature when you get a little bit of authority to want a little bit more. When you get a little bit of control over people, you want a little bit more. So pointing that out, I don't think necessarily qualifies for, you know, tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist type fodder. But for some people, you know, it, it still will. There's an article from John Miltimore on uh, the Foundation for Economic Education's website um, John has been a very trusted voice on this issue right from the start. In particular, his coverage of Sweden and its laissez-faire, or at least gentler approach to COVID-19. And Sweden has been kind of an outlier in a lot of ways. You know, some countries, they, they really, well, no, you can't even compare Sweden to the rest of the world. Why, the Swedes are totally different. There's less of them, and there's there's this, and there's that. There's always some qualifier for why, you know, the, their results are somehow an aberration, but everybody else who locked down and destroyed their economies and still had record numbers of people get sick or hospitalized, you know, that's that's the way it should be done. Well, here's the latest. 
Sweden now has a lower COVID-19 death rate than the U.S. That lighter-touch COVID-19 strategy is looking stronger with every passing week. And John Miltimore explains why it matters. He says for months, Sweden was the punching bag of the world's media and politicians. For foregoing the lockdown, Sweden was declared, quote, a cautionary tale by the New York Times. President Trump even tweeted, Sweden is paying heavily for its decision not to lock down. They are leading us to catastrophe, said The Guardian, quoting a virus immunology researcher. Experts in media all around the world seem to agree, with a few notable exceptions, that lockdowns were the sound approach to the COVID-19 pandemic. But have you noticed there's been a lot less talk about Sweden of late? The reason, it would seem, is that Sweden's strategy appears to have tamed the virus. While countries around the world are experiencing a resurgence of COVID-19 outbreaks, Sweden's COVID-19 deaths have slowed to a crawl. As a result, many nations are catching up to Sweden in per capita deaths. Some are passing it. Italy recently popped back ahead of Sweden. Chile passed the Swedes next. Then came Brazil, which surpassed Sweden in per capita deaths on Wednesday. Finally, on Thursday, the United States joined the group. The United States currently has 578 COVID-19 deaths per million, compared to Sweden's 577 per million. That's according to the global statistics website, Worldometers. And by the way, he has the uh, the website here and the, the graph, so you can see for yourself. This is not something that uh, John Miltimore is pulling out of thin air. And he also notes more nations are likely to follow in the weeks and months ahead. Meanwhile... The man behind Sweden's herd immunity strategy, Johan Giseke, just got promoted by the World Health Organization. So the lockdown lesson is what he talks about next. And John Miltimore writes, State-enforced lockdowns have ravaged economies and humans alike. Stay-at-home orders caused a massive decline in economic output and caused serious disruptions to the global supply chain. Tens of millions of jobs were lost, millions of businesses were shuttered, and extreme global poverty increased for the first time in more than two decades. Meanwhile, countries witnessed surges in drug overdoses, suicide, domestic violence, and depression. For months, media, policy experts, and politicians claimed that these unintended consequences were necessary collateral damage in the war against COVID-19. That is, when they acknowledged them at all. CNN reported in June, scientists say lockdowns have likely prevented hundreds of millions of infections around the world. A modeling study published in the scientific journal Nature last month estimated that by early April, shutdown policies saved 285 million people in China from getting infected, 49 million in Italy, and 60 million in the U.S. Professor Solomon Xiang, the director of the Global Policy Laboratory at Berkeley, called lockdowns one of the greatest endeavors ever taken by humans. Xiang said, I don't, see, I don't think any human endeavor has ever saved so many lives in such a short period of time. There have been huge personal costs to staying home and canceling events, but the data shows that each day made a profound difference. But recently published research appears to blow a hole in this thesis. In a new Wall Street Journal article titled The Failed Lockdown Experiment, Donald L. Luskin, chief investment officer of Trend Macro, a global investment strategy consulting firm, says data shows lockdowns are actually correlated with a greater spread of the virus. He says, quote, Trend Macro, my analytics firm, tallied the cumulative number of reported cases of COVID-19 in each state and the District of Columbia as a percentage of population, 
based on data from state and local health departments aggregated by the COVID tracking project. We then compared that with the timing and intensity of the lockdown in each jurisdiction. That is measured not by the mandates put in place by government officials, but rather by observing what people in each jurisdiction actually did along with their baseline behavior before lockdowns. This is captured in highly detailed anonymized cell phone, cell phone tracking data provided by Google and others and tabulated by the University of Maryland's Transportation Institute into a social distancing index. Measuring from the start of the year to each state's point of maximum lockdown, which ranged from April 5th to April 18th, it turns out that lockdowns correlated with a greater spread of the virus. States with longer, stricter lockdowns also had larger COVID outbreaks. The five places with the harshest lockdowns, the District of Columbia, New York, Michigan, New Jersey, and Massachusetts, had the heaviest caseloads. It could be that strict lockdowns were imposed as a response to already severe outbreaks, but the surprising negative correlation, while statistically weak, persists even when excluding states with the heaviest caseloads. And it makes no difference if the analysis includes other potential explanatory factors such as uh, population density, age, ethnicity, prevalence of nursing homes, general health, or temperature. The only factor that seems to make a demonstrable difference is the intensity of mass transit use. End quote. So John Miltimore says the efficacy of lockdowns, or lack thereof, will likely be a subject of debate for years. What's clear is that COVID-19 is not as deadly as researchers originally thought. And nations and states that did not lock down did not see an explosion of deaths and cases, although they suffered far less economic destruction. He says the fact that Sweden did not lock down and now has fewer deaths per capita than the U.S., which did experience economic lockdowns in most of the country, doesn't prove that lockdowns don't work. Just like the fact that Sweden had more deaths than Scandinavian neighbors like Finland and Norway doesn't prove that lockdowns saved lives. It's simply more evidence that the correlation between lockdowns and COVID-19 deaths is extremely weak. And to the extent a correlation exists, it's actually negative. So the results of the lockdown have indeed been fatal. And he quotes from F.A. Hayek, a wonderful quote about uh, how people need to act humbly when they have awesome power in their hands. Unfortunately, I'm not going to have time to get to that in this segment. But I will have the article posted at thebrianhydeshow.com. Look at the show notes for September 8th, and you can read this for yourself. Again, a great piece from John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education. Thanks again for joining us. Upward and onward, fellow wrong thinkers. This is The Brian Hyde Show.